So I think the quote is from Skinner, the founder of uh, behavioral psychology. He said, I'd rather uh, make 1,000 observations of one, one person than uh, one observation on 1,000 persons. Yeah, so yep. you get it? You learn a lot by going really into depth. Welcome back to Deep Tech Stories, a podcast making creators, entrepreneurs, and idealists in the deep tech space accessible by highlighting their stories and pulling their ideas from the lab into the real world. I'm Philip Stürmer, and on the show today, and on the show today, Martin Hassler-Hallstedt using cognitive behavioral theory to help young kids learn maths, improve their life, and increase a country's GDP. So it's 2018, and Martin Hassler-Hallstedt just finished his psychology PhD. The degree he started as a testbed and case study for what should later become a Caribbean and the Count on Me app. Yeah, to some extent. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if Arthur would love that to hear that. <laughs> but yeah, basically I think I did because now it's hard to get on get out to the market uh, still, uh, but it's easier when you have science to back it up because mm. schools are welcoming me. They like the product. The only problem is schools have little money and it takes a lot of time to sell to them. So now we're going to consumers, but we still have the, in mind the, the schools. And the schools are super important in the long run. We really want to get there. Yeah. I think the combo there is would be stellar because if you can have regular tech use in the classroom, less than half of the lesson, you will collect data and then which, which can then inform learning, even learning outside the tech or the device. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, so then you wouldn't have tests. We've done uh, adventure-based testing in maths. Standardized math test put in a learning uh, game environment that worked beautifully. They actually were in the newspapers, the regional paper here in Sweden, and saying, we want to do more exercises. That's not what you get from <laughs> kids doing math tests. We want to do more math tests. Yeah. Only a few say that. Yeah. We had like the majority just being thrilled about it. So if you can integrate testing into the everyday routine without even recognizing it's test, that's the way to go. And that's, I mean, it's so obvious you should be doing yeah. that. So you finished your PhD and supervisor was all happy with it. And you had this uh, intervention study, which I guess is a lot of work because you need to recruit the people and you need to get the data and you need to code the whole thing. And Yeah, 6,500 students were involved, yeah. 87 so classes, 27 schools. But that's a lot for psychology from what I've read all the time. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that, that's why it's uh, 10 times the effort to make an intervention study yeah. compared to a regular psychology studies. Uh, but if you're in the game, as my supervisor told me, then you appreciate that and you actually see the value of it. And that's also, I think, the reason. Now I'm, I may be bragging, but this <laughs> is what I work for. So I just want to say that actually I work with the University College of London and uh, Oxford in a mm -hmm. study right now, and they approached me from UCL. And they're, I think they're, yeah, they're two of the eight top universities in the world. We also have yeah. a collaboration with Cambridge. So then you get acknowledgement from people who are serious about this in the research community, because they do systematic reviews and they saw my article and then they reached out. This mm -hmm. is Laura Outhwaite from UCL. And now we're doing a single case study, which is much smaller. It's going, only going to be 12 students. 
But we what, follow what, is, the, what a single case mean? You take one student, you do a lot of math tests for one, two, maybe three weeks, just to establish a baseline. How mm -hmm. good are they at the, these math skills that we're going to teach? Then you give them the game, and then you measure continuously each week how they improve, if they improve or not. And uh, after a certain period, this will be eight weeks, we will be able to see on an individual level, okay, did this improve? The learning and actually you can investigate causal relations here that's the cool thing because usually you do a randomized controlled studies mm -hmm. to investigate okay does this game have an effect is there a causal relationship between the game and learning maths um takes forever seven years <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you do it, uh, a, a good study that is meets all the standards but uh, you can also do s smaller ones to learn more Mm -hmm. from individual users. So I think the quote is from Skinner, the founder of uh, behavioral psychology. He said, I'd rather uh, make 1,000 observations of one, one person than uh, one observation on 1,000 persons. Yeah, so yep. you get it? You learn a lot by going really into depth. Mm -hmm. Th that's what we're going to do right now. We're actually starting to study in a few weeks and we will be able to publish data uh, in August this year to see if, can we have an effect actually on each student? And this sounds maybe like just one student doesn't say anything, but if, if you have 12 students and if you measure different long baselines, some just test, do math tests for one week, mm -hmm. some do math tests for two weeks, some do it for three weeks. And after the first week for that student who only did one week of testing, you start the, the app. Yep. You start training, but the other ones, they had to do more testing. And then as they start, if we can see that the improvement comes as they are entering the game and the training, then you can actually make some good claims or valid claims about the causality. Mm -hmm. Of course, it has to be published and peer reviewed and all that still. Yep. But that is an under investigated way of uh, uh, understanding what works or not. We are too focused only on randomized controlled trials. They are great. I'm doing three more of them in Sweden currently <laughs> with, uh, with other universities, yeah. Karolinska, Stockholm and uh, Lund, uh, Uppsala as well. But uh, I think this, and I'm excited about them, but I'm especially excited by this one because having a single case where you can actually uh, investigate causality effects of a program, mm -hmm. that is uh, magnificent. And actually you can then interview them and learn a lot. Yeah, how they felt about it. How they were doing it. Exactly. How, how do you get the kids to join the study and how do you handle the data? Because I guess with GDPR, that's an absolute nightmare. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, in one, we have an ongoing project with Karolinska and some more Swedish universities. 1,800 students are being included. It's the biggest randomized controlled trial uh, in math education mm -hmm. so far. And uh, there we have, uh, it's been a lot of work documentation and like show making sure we people who didn't agree to use their data in certain ways that we um, align with that so the ethics board first of all has to improve it uh, took a while and then we also have to make sure we actually don't have at my company we can't even see which students are who i can't identify a single student in the study at some level, someone in the in the team, research team, can do that because they have to know which one, mm -hmm. <laughs> which name goes with which ID. But then later that that are, we have restrictions on how to use that data. So I think we are well set up. It's going to be tedious, but we can actually uh, really apply, uh, align with the research and GDPR standards that are set. Okay, nice. 
I mean, I don't have that problem. For me, it's only little particles. They don't really care about GDPR. <laughs> <laughs> That's joy. <laughs> I'd love it. Yeah. So it's mostly doing uh, social science yeah. studies. It, it is, or psychology studies. Yeah. Um, so you came out of your PhD and supervisor was happy. And then you just went on for the actual app and building the company or how did you because i guess you didn't know really very few people know how to code a game particularly on that level with the storytelling like there's so many different aspects that come sure. together i can't code uh, i can do some statistics coding barely <laughs> but uh, i had a good programmer in the research project who helped me and he also had a colleague or two that came in but actually one person coded the whole game i would say yeah, the prototype to count on me mm-hmm. that, that I researched um, before. How, so, did you, how did you meet that person? That was uh, through uh, connections. I don't know, how, actually. I think it was made, might be a professor at Karolinska who helped me find that person. Or actually, the, the he, my coder, <laughs> had made that professor's game before. Okay. Another maths app. So I think that, that was the way I found it. Some somehow in the network i got hold of him david Hollander, mm-hmm. and he really made that game happen in a great way and he's still here today he's actually not working with me anymore after project <laughs> he said you always do such big projects <laughs> <laughs> and he's a consultant i think this time it wasn't the perfect match mm-hmm. um, although i would love to have him on board he's just a joy to work with but uh, he, um, I'm still thinking about him <laughs> sometimes. That would be fun to have work with him. But now then I met Henrik, uh, who is also a coder and uh, I would say a um, tech artist because he's also good at design and digital marketing. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, um, and I think Henrik really, uh, he, he is the major uh, player in, when making all this, this game come true now. Mm-hmm because he can put the gaming part, the adventure part in the game, together with all these CBT exercises built on our method yep. of learning. So, yeah, but it's important to find these people. Yeah, usually people are not good at uh, many things at once that are important. True, yeah, you have to be good at the connecting, uh, socially networking, all that. And Henrik, uh, the CTO, my co-founder, he, I met him at uh, the university. I was teaching students at the psychology uh, program, and he was looking for an advisor or a supervisor for his uh, thesis or master thesis. Mm-hmm. And I said no. <laughs> Someone said again, you should, you should, but you should talk with him. He's really into this. He knows how to code. Then we had a talk, and then we decided let's go on this a trip to Silicon Valley. That was actually an accelerator trip for companies, startups. Mm-hmm. And uh, since Lund University or LU Holding has invested in us, that was where my first money come, came from. Uh, we could do that and then we could actually climb a mountain. <laughs> we climbed Yosemite, literally. Okay. <laughs> and I realized, I realized we were a good fit because we were different. He's a two meter tall Finn, mm-hmm. <laughs> actually Swedish Finn. But uh, he wasn't afraid of anything. He approached the bear that we met. Oh, good lord. And I just <laughs> ran away. <laughs> he saw snakes that were colorful and he just went closer to take good pictures. And I was like, oh, That's... good lord. Yeah, so we, I think we were a good fit. And I sat on his, I cracked his uh, tablet screen, I think, sat on it. <laughs> yeah, there were some good moments there when we also learned that it's going to be super hard to build a business around this. 
because education is a hard space. Mm-hmm. Um, so we learned some things there and now we, yeah, it's continuous. It's just so many things that you learn along the way that I wish I had knew before. And then like, how did you get into that accelerator in, in Silicon Valley? And was it worth it to? It was worth it. And uh, we got there through uh, the university. They have connections there. So we went okay. to Nordic Innovation House, which is a hub for Nordic companies. Mm-hmm. And then they had a two week program. And later on, half a year later, a two week follow up program. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was a good kickstart for us to get going to understand. We were just thrown in into that. And like, okay, what's your business model? We're, we don't have one. <laughs> that was like before I finished my PhD. Yep. How did you, or what did you learn that stands out now from that time? That uh, school is a hard market space. Okay. <laughs> we were told early on, we tried to go to the school since we didn't try to get collaborations. We never succeeded. Well, that was super hard learning. We actually prevailed with our initial idea to let's go to schools. They realized that it's too slow and too little money. Mm. Um, and so we need such a small market as well. Yeah. So I think that was major learning from that part. And of course, some networking skills like building up. How do you actually network? How does business work or how do you build them? You have to have investor relations. You have to mm-hmm. build them continuously. And then, so you went there and Hendrik coded the first version of the game. Yeah, and that was beginning of uh, 2018. But actually, we were at that time, I would say 2018 went much to thinking about how should we develop the game? Should we use the prototype? How much could we use of it? Because it was built in old language, uh, Flash. Mm-hmm. That were that wasn't very easy to translate. That was a valid decision in 2012 when we started making the prototype in the research project. But um, then it was out starting to be outdated, so we decided to go with Unity, mm-hmm. and then we need more coders, and we went for a really ambitious product, which is now out. The company app, so yep. it's really a learning adventure. 72 unique quests. I mean, to build that, that took us a lot of time to figure out how to build that. So I would say in 2019, we started building the game for real. Uh, and then also you need people on board. So that took a, took a while also to get the team. And you got help for that with the, the massive entertainment studio, which yes. is a part of uh, Ubisoft EA. Exactly. Yeah, they make the Star Wars games and they make the yeah. Avatar games. How did you get to them? Because I guess they, or as far as I know from making AAA gaming titles, it's very time pressured and competitive and they tend yeah they never invested us we are their corporate social responsibility long-term partner Mm -hmm. so they help us out um that was through networking that we got in contact with uh, massive i was on a a debate with a few invited people some uh, and one of them was david pulfeldt at that time the ceo for massive and there were a few other people, one for real big companies, a billionaire and some other startups like me. And also, uh, I think uh, from the government, there was this minister uh, or uh, for Nadine Sleeves minister, um, head of business or something like that okay. in the government. And he was uh, really, that's when David, the CEO from Massive asked, would you like to visit our studios? We could help you out. Okay. So I was just thrilled about just that. Just like that. Yeah. And I, uh, that's, so if you attend a lot of meetings, sometimes those things happen. That was just a beautiful moment. Emphasis on, so they, they help you with 
coding everything or most of it. And then actually, they didn't turn. help us write a single code, but they helped us with the game mechanics. Like, so we had workshops with some of their personnel to say, okay, how should we build a game? It's an adventure game. Is it feasible to do this this way? No, you should do this because then you can reuse the assets that you provide. You should do it more like this. Mm -hmm. And the game loop, we decided on the game loop, really. I think that was a big help then. But later on, we tested the game in their gaming studio. That was good. They helped us get out in the press to get... Uh, gaming studio being inviting kids and then they played the game. Yeah, so they yeah. played the game. And actually, we had the reporters from newspapers being there watching it. So it was mm -hmm. a peer uh, activity, but also learning opportunity for us. Yep. And uh, now we're having campaigns coming up with them. Uh, so we are regularly meeting with Massive to have ongoing things. So we're going to have a campaign this year uh, sometime with them about coding and maths, teaching to kids. So that's a concrete thing yeah. upcoming. But we also went to fairs with them and so on. Yeah. And you went to the uh, London Game Festival? Yes. Yeah. Which is, uh, as far as I know, kind of the biggest one yeah and we're actually part of the official selection there so that that was a beautiful thing they made a trailer so you can watch online and yeah i think yeah that was a proof for us that the game is valid <laughs> as a game also yeah not just math learning how did you so you you said earlier that uh you need to have those uh what was it 100 interactions every minute Ten, uh, ten, 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 yeah, ten. Yeah, hundred would be. That's the future. <laughs> <No, it depends>. <laughs> <laughs> ten interactions per minute. That, that is the yeah. goal. How did you implement that with in a game so that besides the actual story, the kid doesn't have to do constantly? Because I guess if you have to do constantly yeah. press something, you might interrupt it, the story. It's a work in progress, I would say, because it's hard to hit that high frequency, and it's also going to vary throughout the game. So if you play for 50 minutes a day, which is our session length, you can mm -hmm. also log in and play 10 more minutes and 10 more minutes if you want to the same day. But there's a unique quest every day for 50 minutes. Yeah, so, so it's going to be a little, the frequency is going to vary. And since we have a story-driven adventure, there's going to be some narration. But we can say that we probably need to cut some parts of the narration mm -hmm. to have it be even more brief to increase the interactivity. So we're working on that, but high frequency for sure. Okay, it's a big one. And then the problems that you have in there, because you said in the beginning they they personalized on the depending level for mm -hmm. of the student. What kind of problems are in there? Because if you have a certain narrative and I guess the narrative requires some sort of questions and problems to solve. Ah, okay, yeah. Actually, we have separated story and, and game to some extent. So you go, you you shift from the story to, to the learning environment. Okay. But now we're working to integrate them as well. That is a future task for us mm -hmm. to have the story. The story is in the math exercises to some extent, but we would wish it to be even more. That is... Uh, that is a long time, long term goal. Mm -hmm. You mentioned in the very, very beginning the machine learning. Um, do you have anything of that, like some collaborative recommendation filter implemented where you, you say, okay, the system recognizes there is like a batch of students that behave all similar and they did particularly well with that problem? So I'm just I can, yeah, I can tell you the results. They were super interesting. They are still, I would say, tentative. Just mm -hmm. a precaution because I never published it, and it's also a small sample still. You always need more data, and uh, but we could see a few really cool things on the individual level. So we could see that it, to be able to have lasting effects. So you play the program, you quit six months after. If you still have a lasting effects, mm -hmm. half a year after you quit the game, 
what are the predictors for that? And in this case, we could see that, okay, you had to play 90% or more of the game. Otherwise, there was no lasting effect. That's okay. the first one. But that's not enough to have a lasting effect. You should have played almost the whole full game. You, in this case, you did have to have two parents. Mm -hmm. That was an actual. actual. Yeah, actual, yeah. yeah. So if you just had, just had one, the pr predictor would be you would now not have a lasting effect. Oh, damn. But not only that, you would have to play the full game, you would have to have two caretakers, you would need also to, to have uh, employed caretakers. So if, okay. they, so if you did, a, did play the full game, you had to take caretakers, but they, they were not occupied or uh, employed. The prediction was you wouldn't be having long-term gains. Do you know why? Um, I have, uh, I can only speculate, but maybe with some valid <laughs> insights there, I would say, yeah, the reason is um, the home environment is crucial for, I mean, you see that all over, all over the place. If you look at the PISA results in maths, mm -hmm. there's a clear tendency that if you have a good backup at home, you will actually then have better schooling results just because of that. I mean, they have probably have more time to say more words to you <laughs> so you understand more things no. or help you with your homework even. So you had to play, play the full game, have to have two caretakers, have, one of them shouldn't be employed. And uh, if you then or should uh, had to be employed. Had to be yeah. okay. And uh, and uh, if you then had also low math scores, that would be a predictor for a good, for a good long term outcome of the game. Yeah. So if you already go to maths, then it might not help as much. Yeah. But I mean, the generalizability of this is, uh, is not sure, but I think it, it aligns with uh, yeah, unfortunate findings in other <laughs> yep. areas, like, okay, it's the Matthew effect to the ones who has been given much more will be given. It's like from the Bible, even. Yeah. <laughs> it's really bad. And that's what I'm around. I want to change this. So students, especially immigrant students who are not performing or underperforming, they don't have the uh, capabilities from home. Yep. We can help them. We can have these games help them if we can implement them at scale. A good thing that uh, I published in my thesis is that you can actually see long-term effects one year after you've finished. And this is the group level. Remember, I talked before about machine learning, mm -hmm. and this was on an individual level. But if we look at the group level, different analysis, we can see that there is a clear tendency for students who are disadvantaged to have lasting effects one year after pro the program quit. They quit the program. Yeah. And that is huge. I mean, for these audiences or these less off students, less well off students, yep. we can actually make a difference for them. You mentioned already it's hard to get into schools, um, but you essentially need to market the game to parents and convince the parents it's the right thing to do for the kids. How do you how do you manage that? We have a fantastic marketing team. Okay. <laughs> so we have Hannah, who is the chief marketing officer, mm -hmm. very experienced selling to consumers, um, different products, but still. So she came up with this math anxiety approach, which is one of our approaches uh, that we tested successfully. We will have more, but the message there is that everyone's a math person uh, and we can have anxiety-free learning yep. because it's in a game, it's joyful. So that's part of it. And we also have uh, Paulina, who is a content manager, who's producing these blog posts or ads that we have. So we can actually show also this is effective. This teaches for UK parents to a standardized test, mm -hmm. key stage one, that they are keen to have, uh, yeah, make, make their child be good at. So I think that is 
that is how we're, we're uh, reaching out to the market. We, we stick apart from the other, the competition by being, having an adventure, a real game uh, with the strong narrative and a thorough, uh, or, and backed by science, yep. collaborating with UCL and Oxford and Cambridge. Yep. And then how do you, oh, like, currently some maths to mention that reading and uh, the ability to focus is also a big part. Are there any plans on, on going into those two? Areas. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. now we're uh, targeting six, seven-year-olds, primary target group, and also eight to nine-year-olds mm -hmm. in math. But we would like to extend that age range within mathematics and then also go into other subjects such as science. Of course, language is pretty crowded, I would say, but I would like to go into other topics. Geography is probably an easy one to some extent, mm -hmm. but other social sciences but also other skills. I mean, CBT, there's so many uh, valid or uh, evidence-based methods in CBT where you can teach kids how to problem solve, how to behave uh, as socio-emotional skills. And there's good evidence for that. I mean, all these applications of behavioral psychology and other psychologies mm -hmm. <laughs> around, there's much, uh, everything is left to be done, I would say. Yeah. Almost nothing has been done yet. Do you have kids? I have kids. I have three okay. kids. How do you how do you manage it at home with maths and teaching? Yeah, back and forth. I sit with them uh, on a weekly basis. I would say maybe one two times a week. I help them with their homework. They also been part of the game. I mean, they made voices in my games. They've been all around the games. Yeah. <laughs> they should be in characters in the games, and they play tested, of course. So I try to use the game sometimes. Uh, I want to get ahead with my nine year old to do some testing now um, to see if, if that works for her. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you, I enjoyed this. Thank you so much for listening to Deep Tech Stories. If you enjoyed this episode, why not give it a like or subscribe wherever you listen to or share out a link on Twitter. It would help me out immensely. You will be hearing back from me in two weeks with Kasper Wilstrup turning an idea he had in his studies more than 20 years ago into a new generation of explainable machine learning.